Our guest today is a popular English liberal political YouTuber, former UKIP MEP candidate, honorary member of the band from Twitter and now Patreon club, and speaker at Turning Point USA at Penn State's The Censored event on October 23rd, Sargon of Akkad. Thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I've been, like I said, following you for about like a, I'd say about two years. It was around the election time was when I started um, listening to you. Uh, but from what I understood, you started off as with YouTube kind of as a side thing. I don't know if I have that correct. But how did you go from basically just an average British citizen to this massive political YouTuber now with almost one million subscribers? Uh, I I wish I knew. It just kind of happened. Uh, I I just kept talking about things that bothered me, and uh, I don't know. It just just kind of. Uh, no, I I didn't do anything deliberately. <laughs> it, it was all unintentional. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's just been a strange journey. It's been a lot of fun though. Yeah, it has to be. I always ask that question of all of our guests because we've had Mike Cernovich, Milo Yiannopoulos, a few other people on the show. And it's always oh, interesting to see where people have gone from and then where they end up now. Yeah, for, for me, it wasn't intentional. It was all accidental. But, <laughs> um, I'm happy with how it's all gone. Yeah, absolutely. So as we, I've been talking to your assistant, Kalem, about this, but... Um, the college Democrats here um, are calling for our chapter to be defunded and shut down for hosting you at our event. And really? I think it's rather interesting that they say in the letter, their statement they put out, they, they basically say, and I'm not even stretching this or exaggerating it, they say, well, we don't want to deter anyone from coming to see Sargon. We don't want to stop them. But we just want to shut down the entire club hosting him. <laughs> oh. How, how how kind of them? I mean, they could, they could have been saying shut it down. <laughs> and, and and of course, it's an event called the censored, so there's the added unintentional irony uh, there. But what do you think of all this? Like, what, what like what are your thoughts on it? I don't think there's anything such as violent words, um, which was the the description that they put in their little letter. Mm -hmm. um, it strikes me as just childish partisanship. If you want the right to speak anywhere, then surely you've got to extend that right to other people. And if you don't, then you're not very liberal, are you? Now, the United Socialists signed off on that, and the um, National Honor Society for Political Science, which that was the big one for me that's pretty bad. I thought they were, hey, I thought they were supposed to be, like, neutral. Where, aren't, they, aren't they supposed to be a neutral... Uh, club. Yeah, but Sar but Sargon's a Nazi, so it's okay, right? <laughs> According to left wingers, but the, yeah. the the main issue is that they know that I know what they're about, and yeah, most people don't. They most of what they achieve and what they do is essentially predicated on stealth. Um, they don't really want people to know just how radical they are, and they are indeed radical. Yeah. Well, with all that said, though, what is your main goal of this speaking event? What do you hope to come out of it? I guess I just want to be able to speak my mind. I think that uh, I think there are probably a few people who want to hear, and I think that you know, since I was invited, I think I should be allowed to speak. I mean, I don't have a criminal record or anything <laughs> like that, so I don't really know. You know, everything they point to is this person has offended me. Mm -hmm. well, good. That was rather the point. So, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've never committed a crime, so. 
But um, <clears throat> kind of shifting gears a little bit, you know, I, I was following you ever since probably 2012, right around when, uh, you know, the big Gamergate thing happened. And you were probably one of the first major YouTubers to really bring it up. I, I know there was a couple others who talked about but you were the one, I think, who really sort of started the, the whole thing. Now, did you ever think, you know, Gamergate would take off the way it did? Um, I, you know, back then... I didn't really know the scope of what was going on and you know, every, everything was new. And I mean, it was very exciting to be honest. Looking back at it, everything was very surprising. You never knew what was going to happen the next day. Um, so I didn't really have any long-term thoughts or predictions on it because I was just taking it a day at a time. And I guess I still am to be honest. Uh, do you think that like Gamergate itself will have lasting uh, political repercussions? Like, and do you think it actually had influence on you know at least in America the 2016 elections? Maybe even across the the world. I know there's been a lot of more right wing parties in Europe. I, I don't follow European politics all that much, but uh, do you think any of that sort of was the result of Gamergate? No, I think Gamergate was um, a more localized affair within video gaming. Um, but I, I do I do think that it it um I, I do think it kind of showed people that you really have to stand up to this kind of bullying. Otherwise they're not gonna stop. They're just gonna keep on going. Um so I, I think that's that's definitely the main positive I think that's come out of it. I know, like, I used to be an active user of 4chan stuff and like right around that time I, I noticed there was a lot more yeah, I don't want to say necessarily right wing, but like people who didn't really, you were seeing what the uh, social justice crowd was doing right around the time that Gamergate kind of took off. And yeah, well, do you think it would be it's something that you know maybe in fifty years you'll start seeing in like textbooks or something as like a footnote or a well, whole... it's already being taught about in universities, and you can imagine what that narrative looks like. Do you very, think... uh, very much uh, the pro. Um, social justice narrative that gets taught about it but that's okay what do you think there will be any um, any other sort of events like that possibly in the future like i know comics and uh, like especially comics there's another youtuber i think who does a lot with that and you know movies in general they have a lot of the mm. same sort of uh, left-wing influence on there yeah there's there's already comics gate going on at the moment um which is it's it's become essentially a, a parallel industry um because the comics industry is is in a slow death, and it's not even slow actually, um, because of the introduction of social justice ideology into a realm where nobody wanted it, no one was asking for it. And there's a there's a chap called the Fourth Age, a YouTuber called Fourth Age, who's also a comics writer and involved with it. And he went he went through the um, through the history of the people who were involved, and the one of the main main uh, activists who is is in, engaged in it wasn't involved in comics at all but was deliberately hired by marvel by an sjw at marvel um specifically with the aim of well not doing comics you know doing doing something else um and so this is why all of these comics are essentially dying uh, they you know they end up creating pro social justice comics and nobody buys them so these things get shut down. You can see it. You can see it happening with the um, the adaptations on. I, I guess we'd call it TV, but you know, ser the serial adaptations, like the Batwoman one. At the moment yeah. it had you know it had 
nearly 2 million view viewers on the first episode and then it's dropped down to less than a one and a half million and then down to about a million so i mean it's it's tangible how these things don't have the traction that they should because this has had major advertising backing all over the place you know billboards all that sort of thing um but it's just not gaining the interest that they i imagine they would hope it would have and what's interesting is the joker movie which i saw your review of Mm. and i thought was very well done that has gained audience acclaim and that's gonna be a new phrase now audience acclaim but critical acclaim is nowhere to be seen critics are trashing it and i'm not gonna lie i'm still confused why why do some critics hate that movie so much (laughs) that's a good question Um, (laughs) actually it's it's not it's not as universally panned by the critics as what you might think um, because of the uh, honestly staggeringly good quality of the movie uh the storytelling in it is fantastic and it is a compelling narrative so it's it's not it's kind of hard to actually condemn it in the way that you can tell that the critics would like to do. They they have to give it credit for its technical um, achievements, which is really quite surprising considering it was done by a comedy director. Who yeah. Did like the Hangover and stuff like this. Yeah. So the fact that he's managed to pull off such an impressive, techni- like technically and artistically impressive film is frankly a shock. Um, but the, the reason is that they thought the film was going to have something to do with the phenomenon of incels. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, that means involuntary celibate, as in virgins, people who can't get laid. Uh, why these are the primary <laughs> enemy of the, of the left at this point, I don't really know. Um, but, I mean, I... I, I there's a lot to unpack there, and uh, you know I, I won't even try uh, oh, yeah. in the time that we've got now. Um, but the, the the film is not about that at all. It's about someone with mental health not getting the help that they need. Yeah, and you would think yeah. that the, the sort of left wingers would be more sympathetic to that. That surely that would be you know they're, they're, they're the party of compassion and whatnot. So surely that would have the, the, it would resonate somewhat with them. But uh, no, apparently not. And the the funny thing is. It, they've they've done this before the um it movies for some mm-hmm. reason they were taking pennywise the clown as an ally like an lgbt <laughs> ally or they're gonna add yeah, a c uh, for clowns in it now <laughs> clown world well, yeah, uh, but the thing is like okay hang on, let, let's stop and think about this pennywise is the villain of the piece yeah i mean the, the joke is an anti-hero mm-hmm. so it's not you know the, the joker isn't evil uh, and he, he's certainly not like Heath Ledger's Joker, but Pennywise is obviously actively evil. He's like mm-hmm. a demon or something. But he he mocked someone for being gay in the second one or something. I haven't actually seen it because I'm not really that into it. But um, but this this caused a flood of left wing outlets to write articles saying, "Oh God, Pennywise isn't the ally we thought he'd be." It's like why do you, why are you identifying with the villains? so strange. Well, well, they well they connect with Antifa a lot too here. And like, they're supposed to be like Antifa is supposed to be all about anti-fascism, mm. and you wouldn't think that that'd be like violence, but they're like the most violent club here in this country. <laughs> I, every every now every time you see every time you see a, a protest happen, there's usually Antifa blasting someone, yeah. uh, chucking milkshakes and all that craziness. Well, yeah, Sargon's been so, milkshaked here. <laughs> I have, <laughs> but to be honest with you, it's always uh, it's always a good thing. Uh, I don't see any problem with being milkshake. To be honest, it's kind of a badge of honor because <laughs> what it what it means essentially is that they literally have nothing left to yeah. say. 
Yeah. They're completely out of arguments, and they know it. And so they resort to violence. Mm. It's not a particularly harsh form of violence. And let's be honest, if you're going to have violence done to you, better a milkshake than something else. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the end of the road. It's the point where they say, look, I, I'm done. I can't argue anymore. You win, I lose. When I saw that, I was like, well, if if they could milkshake me, could they at least milkshake me with a Sonic shake? And like, I don't want to get milkshaked with a McDonald's shake. That's like powder <laughs> and water. At least Sonic, they have ice cream in their stuff, man. Come on. <laughs> at least I could get some flavor out of this thing, right? <laughs> no. Um. So we we obviously we can't you know have you on here without at least talking a little bit of British politics. Um. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boris Johnson. Um, yes. Fabulous. Trying man. to push. Trying to. I, 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 they're trying to push a Brexit deal. Uh, what do you think of his plan? And do you do you see Brexit actually happening? <sighs> well, it's that's a very good question, and it's completely up in the air at the moment. the The way the negotiations have been happening is that they've delivered all of the decision-making power to the European Union, which mm. is ironic considering mm. they keep the, the, so it's, it's quite a complex situation. So in, in Britain, we, we don't elect a president. We elect our local MPs and then local MPs, uh, are 650 of them. And then the MPs form parties, uh, or belong to parties. And then, a, a party that has enough, MPs elected uh, to form a majority uh, to form a majority can form a government um, and then they can govern the country uh, so the conservatives were in a coalition with a party called the DUP from Northern Ireland um, and they they together held a majority and what the during the course of the brexit issue uh several cons- uh, like something like 20 conservative mps defected and became either independent or joined the liberal democrat party which are effectively the anti-democracy party in my country at the moment um and they're they're trying to overturn the Bre- brexit referendum so yeah uh, so this puts the government in a in a difficult position because if they want to pass legislation through the parliament, they need to have a majority vote on it. And if they've got a minority and the party and the parliament is split between two distinct lines with no middle ground, it's either remain or leave, um, and the leave faction are in the minority, that means the remain side can pass whatever they want and the, the leave side can pass nothing. Um, and so the... The, the parliament has effectively been holding the government hostage by refusing to have a general election because Boris would undoubtedly be able to form a majority if an election was called because two-thirds of the constituencies of the United Kingdom voted to leave and three-quarters of the MPs voted to stay. Um, so the, the parliament doesn't represent the people. They are holding the government hostage. We can't have an election. And so Boris is just getting ground into the dirt. Uh, naturally, this has got the full complicity of the European Union because they benefit entirely. A, they get to make all the decisions in, the, in, in this regard, so they get to weigh everything in their own favour. But we also pay them over a billion pounds a month for the privilege. So, I mean, I honestly, I'm, I'm very, very frustrated with uh, Brexit at the moment <laughs> and I, the, the, the situation in, in my country in general. So... That's pretty understandable. Yeah, and I noticed that 
um, I think it was about in May, you finally took actions into your own hands, decided, hey, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to mm. step into it. What did you learn from your experience running for office? Um, I learned that there is absolutely no depth that the media won't sink to in order to smear your character. That's the the primary thing. Wow. They they revel in it. They they were open about that that's what they were going to do, and they were very happy to do it. And it didn't matter that they were lying, because they're relying on the fact that they've got lawyers who can frame what they're saying in a particular way, so that if you were to take them to court, they would say, well, they're just reporting a rumor or something, um, or they you know someone said that something, and it would require a huge amount of money to sue these people. Um, and so they effectively can get away with it. And I mean, it's, a, it's not a problem for me because I've got a, I've got a large audience, I've got a lot of reach, so I can, you know, sort of um, swing back at them and defend myself. But the average person in the public just cannot do that. Yeah. And so you, it, you, you realize just every, like people should be, should, should really think about this. Like, if the media pop up a figure that you've never heard of and essentially tell you nothing but negative things, they're effectively encouraging you to hate that person mm -hmm. and creating hate figures in this way. You should be very suspect of that because like, why would a press that should be responsible uh, do such a thing? That's, it's, a, it's a very unethical thing to do. And so people should be weary of that sort of thing. It's, it's being done to protect status rather than to promote truth. Well, the thing I noticed and kind of goes off on that bit is I saw Nigel Farage in a clip basically kind of condemn you in a way. Um, yeah. And here's the thing about that. I've met Nigel. He seems like a really nice, pleasant guy. Mm. I personally feel he doesn't... I mean, tell me, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even know if he knew the comments you made in the past, the context of it. I think somebody told him about this or told him what to say like have your opinions of farage changed or do you know like if like why he said that i'm, I'm honestly confused yeah so the um the brexit party is a politically correct party um and i'm not a politically correct commentator and so what no sorry <laughs> <laughs> get out of here do you know who Catherine blakelock is mm, no she she is the the lady who the head of the Brexit party before Nigel Farage. Uh, she stepped down because some journalists went through her Twitter feed and found like oh. a comment she had made about Islam like five years ago, and oh, Nigel Farage succeeded her because he insisted that she step down. Um, it's a politically correct party. They they don't talk about anything but Brexit, and you can't. And if you have talked about things that are not Brexit in the past, then you can potentially see yourself uh, removed from your position. So it's it that, that's essentially what it was. And um, because you know Nigel Farage essentially was like, oh no no, I, I disagree with you. these horrible jokes mm -hmm. um, because they, you know it was a comedy reel that they were objecting to, yeah, and mischaracterizing. In fact, this is what I mean. Is you know it was a, a blooper reel of jokes. Mm -hmm. um, and the whole point, I mean, under it, I'd written, you know, don't take these jokes seriously, BuzzFeed. Uh, but they did anyway, because they can. They can misrepresent people. But ironically, um, Nigel Farage found himself doing the same thing with uh, the press. <coughs> when he had said at a comedy night that he had been hosting, 
that he would don khaki and resume, uh, you know, return to the front lines and pick up a rifle. And so he was forced to use the defense I was forced to use against him, against the press, as if to prove there is just no point trying to appease the press. They're not, they're not looking to be honest. They have an agenda. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty nuts, especially for someone who claims not to be a politician to like right. act so much like a politician and play those politically correct games. But uh, you know, speaking of uh, you know these sort of Twitter things, I, I know that you've been banned from Twitter, Patreon, just ton, tons of these like big tech companies. How do you think that like how's big tech censorship affected you? Uh, luckily, I'm quite flexible. Um, so it hasn't been too much of a problem. Uh, there, there are there are alternatives to the um, to these platforms, and my my audience is willing to use them, so I'm okay. Um, but I imagine that a lot of people aren't in that position, especially if you're a smaller user of social media. You know, um, so if if it happens to you, you could just find yourself with no voice and no recourse. Uh, there's no no way you can. Um, no way you can really appeal it. If they decide, no, that's it, we don't like you, you can go, then you're gone, and that's for life. And that's that's scary. Like, you know, we've had our own bats with uh, censorship. Thankfully, not on, uh, you know, like YouTube or anything. But we, we had an incident on the radio a few, uh, <laughs> a couple months ago where someone accidentally said something. We were down for several months, but, <laughs> you know, we were able to get back on from that. But... I know you mentioned these alternative tech platforms. You know, do you see them having any major success, or do you feel that like the powers that be, the banks, and the various other organizations, are able to um, deal, like knock them down? Um, many of them have managed to uh, um, make themselves cancel-proof um, because the, when when I when I was Patreon, which was totally unfair because. What I'd done was not on their platform. Uh, it wasn't even on my platform. And what I was doing is insulting Nazis. So it seems rather strange to be punitive about such a thing. But they, it, it's, it's political. Um, and so I went to a platform called Maker Support. And what was interesting is that Stripe decided they would pull their payment processing ability from that platform purely because I had begun using it, which really made the whole thing look like cartel behavior. Um, it's, it, it's definitely something that people are going to have to deal with at some point in the future, but there are alternatives that are not based in Silicon Valley. And so are not beholden to, uh, the, the sort of nature of their political activism, because that's what this is. Do you, what, what are some of your, uh, do you have any examples of those? Yeah. I use subscribe star as a replacement for Patreon now. It's very good. It's a very good platform. Um, works just fine. Um, I use Telegram instead of Twitter, which is just fine again. Um, it's actually, it's, I actually find it more convenient, and it's a lot less toxic mm. than Twitter. That's, I think tw Twitter is <laughs> is very good at bringing out the worst in absolutely <laughs> everyone, and I think Jack Dorsey is aware of this as well, but there's very little he can do because if he changes the fundamental nature of the platform, then nobody's going to use it. And people are going to complain. But I think it is genuinely doing damage to the political discourse. I think it's actually damaging the journalistic class. I think because they, they all follow each other on Twitter and pass mm -hmm. around the same information. And I think it's turning them into, I don't know, just a kind of weird, isolated cult in many ways. 
I wanted to ask because, like, I know a lot. A lot of these, like, like big tech companies, they they're more for profit more than anything, and yes. like, um, and so with that said, like, they're they're try. I guess, like, I know with Twitter and you know a lot of these, they want to do business more abroad with like you know China and Europe. What, what do you think? Uh, who do you think, or what side of the globe do you think has more of an impact on what they're doing like with does europe because europe has the you know they have their eu regulations and they're kind of like really uh they're they're a little bit more strict but china obviously they have their you know the the people and so they the the european union is currently trying to flex its muscles silicon valley Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can tell that silicon valley is not happy about this at all um Mm -hmm. They actively campaigned against Article 13, but the thing with the European Union is, if if it's in their interest, they'll just do it. You you don't get much of a choice. Um, so there there wasn't too much to be uh, surprised about in that regard. Um, but you can see that China is emerging as a, as a primary market for many, many, many different nations. because it's huge. I mean, there are literally billions of people there, so. Companies are looking at that and thinking, well, this is a giant amount of profit that we can make, and it is. They just have to bow down before the Chinese government, and the Chinese government is essentially a fascist state. Um, they're very ethno-nationalist. They mm-hmm. they believe that all Chinese people should be under their control. Uh, they are actively operating uh, gulags in which they re-educate people and essentially indoctrinate them to become Chinese. It's a form ethnic cleansing um and these are brutal some some of the survivors and escapees of these are are very you know very horrible stories um they're obviously going to be this they're actively suppressing the hong kong protests some of those activists are turning up dead um they are generally what one would consider to they're a command economy as so they're actively organizing their economy and setting up trade routes all across the east um, in order to essentially circumvent western um, pro-western areas like India uh, and essentially colonizing Africa uh, and I think that there's there's a there's a good argument to be made that they're essentially trying to re-establish their position in the world um, after experiencing what they call the century of humiliation which I mean, you can hardly, you can't blame them, but what they're doing is by foul means because they've got a huge labor pool of citizens that they keep com- uh, obedient by using a social credit system, um, which is terrifying. Uh, if you fall below a certain uh, rank in this social credit system, uh, you can't fly, you can't take yep. trains, you can't travel, so you're effectively trapped. Uh, you're bound to have problems getting work as well. Um, and this affects your friends too. So people around you will it, it be affected if you do something that the Chinese government. Like. It is honestly dystopian. Um, and the NBA and all of these other uh, Google are currently creating software for them that will help them do this more effectively. It's, it's awful. And the West is totally complicit in this because all of these companies are making money. Yeah. Yeah, do you think that we could have anything like that in the West in the next, you know, near like next 10, 20 years, like a social credit system come over here? I would be surprised if we didn't, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Honestly, it's it's a it's convenient for the powers that be. That's the problem. So on the topic of just, uh, you know, traveling foreign lands, um, so on the brighter side of it, this is uh, more focused on the U.S. My question to you would be, what do you like about the U.S. that you wish the U.K. had? And what do you like about the U.K. that you wish the U.S. had? Hmm. Um, I, I like I like the fact that you have a First Amendment, and I wish mm. that we had something similar, because we, we have thousands of people a year arrested um, prosecuted for so uh, posted on social media, so that's that's a bit concerning to me, and I would rather it didn't happen. Um, so that's definitely something that I wish uh, the U the UK had. Um, so what do I wish that the US had? The UK has tea, probably. <laughs> well, we have it's tea. Really it's just getting a nice cup of tea over here. <laughs> we have tea, but it might not be the best. It might not be as good as you yeah. guys. Yeah, you don't have a culture of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. we're co yeah. coffee culture mostly. Yeah, yeah I know it's all yeah. Starbucks owns us. Yeah, I think the Boston Tea Party thing a few years ago. Do with well, yeah, that's probably why. <laughs> um, last question I have for you because. This might be a hard one to answer, but again, I've seen lots of your videos. I love all your content, but out of every video you've ever made, what is the video that you'd say you're most proud of making that just really resonated with you? Oh, my Starship Troopers one. Wow. I, I worked really, really hard on that one because uh, I, I was very, very tired of people saying, oh, God, this is a fascist movie. It's like, <laughs> no, this is a Republican movie. Mm -hmm. you know, if like it's it's like a kind of um advanced version of the american republic that's there they're you know they all swear allegiance to a, a constitution to uphold a constitution in the uh, in the story and uh, heinlein was a, a radical libertarian by the end of his life and that's essentially what he was trying to lay out it's like look the, the state should have virtually no input on your life and the people who end up uh, manning it essentially um should be dedicated to their job they uh they they should be a lot less interested in corruption and filling their their own pockets, and more about service. Um, I I felt it, I it was very nice to be able to give a defense of that and point out that fascism is actually the complete opposite of what Heinlein was proposing, uh, which was like an extremely limited government. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was a real pleasure that video. Well, interesting. Interestingly enough, we have a guy that's going to be at our event on Wednesday that wants to get his Starship Troopers uh, copy signed by you because he's a big fan of yours. So, <laughs> so obviously it's had not only an impact on you, but other people as well. Good. I'm, I'm really glad because it, it, it was a lot of work to do, but I, I really am proud of it. That's great. Awesome. So last, last thing I'm going to say, uh, where can people find you since I know you've been banned from everything. There's any platform left that people can find you on it's the best way to reach you and stay up to oh, date yeah, on I'm, everything uh, i'm i'm still on youtube i've still got my saga of a cad channel i've got thinkery and i started a new channel called a cad daily where i just put up short videos about things that are happening that i want to talk about um you can follow me on telegram which you can just find by googling saga of a cad telegram or on facebook which is just saga of a cad uh, you know blog page on facebook Got like hundred thousand followers or something, so um, they're the best places. Yeah, I love your Telegram channel. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and can't wait to see you on Wednesday. It's going to be a crazy, awesome event. There's going to be protests and all <laughs> kinds of fun stuff and plans uh, for that event. So thank you again for taking time to come on. We really appreciate it. you've been nothing but um, wonderful to have on. Thank you very much. Really appreciate. It. Yep. Take these guys. Yep. Yeah, take care. Have a take nice fun. night.